Hey guys, you're listening to Block Shots, a place where we share insights directly from the leaders and builders of the cryptosphere. This podcast is our latest media offering delivered to you by the CoinCode Cap team. With us today on the podcast, we have Ashwat Balakrishnan, the VP of Research at Delphi Digital Research. Delphi Digital is a widely known and well-regarded firm in the cryptocurrency space that does fundamental research and tracks market activity. On today's episode, we're going to learn more about what Ashwat and his team does as a fundamental researcher in the cryptocurrency space, his outlook for DeFi in 2022, and the general macro of the current markets. Hello, welcome Ashwat. How are you doing today? Super excited to be on. Thanks for having me. Uh, and yeah, I'm do- doing pretty great today. Awesome. So, you know, I kind of want to get right into it. And I, I kind of know a little bit about this, but for the interest of the audience, would love for you to give a bit of an introduction, your background, and mainly covering how you got into crypto in the first place. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I, I got into crypto in late 2016, uh, early 2017, when I was, you know, towards uh, the end of my undergraduate degree. A friend of mine, like a classmate of mine, actually, you know, brought up uh, Bitcoin and stuff. This was something he had been looking at for, you know, quite some time, and, and he already had, you know, so, some Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, but he got me interested. You know, I was sitting in class looking at, uh, like, stock charts on my laptop, and he, he made me like pull up the Bitcoin chart and it looked like, you know, pure heaven. <laughs> so uh, that's that's pretty much how I got in. It was, you know, all about making money at first. But then, you know, I think uh, the standard trajectory is, you know, you get enticed by, you know, the profit making opportunities. And as you learn more, uh, you start to understand, you know, the the value of like the core tech and and, the, and like the values that, you know, this this entire community, this entire industry is building. Uh, and so that's that's pretty much how I got into crypto. Uh, when I graduated from college, uh, I went, you know, state into equity research. I, I wanted to explore something in crypto, but, you know, at the same time, uh, crypto was still super nascent. And so I wanted to kind of pad my resume a little bit by having some, you know, legit experience on there. Uh, and so I, I, I worked at, you know, one of the largest uh, institutional asset managers in India for about one and a half years before I decided, you know, that this was enough and I was going to jump into crypto full time. So in about January 2020, I started, you know, I, I became a full-time freelancer and I started writing for uh, a few crypto media outlets. And yeah, I, I started off as a reporter and I, I kind of morphed into an analyst where I would do more data-centric and more research-focused uh, uh, articles. Uh, and that that's about uh, sometime in, you know, maybe August, September of the same year, uh, I got a, you know, a, a message from Delphi COO, Anil, and he reached, he, he read some of my stuff and he was, you know, interested in talking about, you know, like how I could potentially join the team. And that's, that's basically how I got, I got started at Delphi and, you know, the story of how I got into crypto. Super interesting. So would it be fair to say that, you know, you were one of those people who were writing anonymous Twitter threads, one out of 69, and then someone just picked it up after one of them blew up and you got into Delphi? <laughs> no, uh, I, 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 I never. My, my, none of my uh, in on Twitter accounts never ever really took off, uh, and I, I was never, you know, much of a, a threader to begin with. But uh, I, I was, I was basically run, writing under my own name, 
uh, for you know a bunch of outlets. Uh, one of them was Crypto Briefing, which is fairly notable, and uh, that that's sort of how Delphi kind of uh, found me. Got it. So you were already in a bit of a structured position before you got the offer to work here. So now you know now that we have that cleared up, want to understand a little bit more into you know what your focus is right now and you know what does vp of research mean for a company like delphi what do you do and what are the things that you're looking at day to day yeah um so i think you know the the main thing i focus on at delphi is just you know building out the research product and and managing the research team uh so you know i'm i i, I lead our research efforts out of uh, apac asia and pacific uh, and so I like as as VP, my, my job is sort of to, uh, you know, like manage the team and make sure, you know, we we're getting content out, editing, you know, uh, drafts that analysts put together and guiding them. And, you know, like when they run into, you know, issues with respect to, you know, each whatever report they're working on. Uh, so that's, I guess, the bulk of the work. There's, there's also a lot of stuff on the product side where, you know, we're constantly iterating and trying to improve the user experience. Uh, on the Delphi portal, and so uh, a lot of you know my time is also spent with the product team trying to figure out you know like how we can improve this and and you know like taking actionable steps towards uh, actually having you know that that like a better end product for all of Delphi subscribers, irrespective of you know which tier they they fit into. Right. So for for some better context on this, can you talk a little bit about? the Delphi product offerings, what they are, who they're intended for, and what exactly is the value that one can get from that? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I'll, I'll start from the top. Um, Delphi yeah. Pro is you know, our highest tier uh, re- research subscription. Uh, and so with, with that, you basically get you know, everything, all, all content that Delphi puts out and has to offer. Uh, and that includes, you know, deep dives into sectors and specific projects. It includes, you know, sometimes financial models for, um, again, cert- certain projects. Um, you get everything from from the lower tiers, but you know, like the highest value content that you would get as a Delphi Pro subscriber is just like, like very well written reports that dive very deep into a specific project or sector. So, you know, you don't need to spend hours going through different projects, documentations, and you know, like going through Twitter to find, uh, you know threads on, you know, like the outlook for a particular sector. Uh, instead, like what we do is we, we kind of integrate all of that into a single uh, unified report. And so it's it's like a one-stop shop for, for information on, you know, like whatever topic it is that that information is uh, presented. That's that's basically Delphi Pro, which is the highest tier. And, and we have some, some pretty notable subscribers uh, under there. Uh, the second is Delphi Insights, which is also a paid tier and is more focused on uh, retail users. So, you know, in the past, we kind of neglected this because we were focused on the deep dives and the heavy hitting research. But I think over the last few months, we've realized that, you know, this is a, a vastly untapped market, the, the retail side of our subscription business. And and so, you know, we've, we've kind of doubled down on the effort to improve the quality of research that goes out to these Insight members. Uh, and so what, what they would essentially get is, you know, for the most part on Mondays, they would get a Dow Digest that highlights, you know, everything that's happened uh, on governance forums, all of the important votes. Uh, and at the end, we kind of opine on, you know, one of the more uh, controversial or pressing situations in you know, the realm of token governance. Uh, and then on Tuesdays, um, you would get the Yield Stats newsletter, which is 
uh, basically a rundown of you know the most uh, lucrative opportunities uh, with respect to yield farming across DeFi, you know, across any ecosystem. It, it, it can be any chain from Ethereum to Solana to even you know standalone side chains like Ronin. Uh, and so that's that's mostly focused towards you know degenerate yield farmers, people who are trying to get you know their hands dirty and 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 you know like figure out um, the the most enticing opportunities in the space over a you know a short time frame. Uh, and then on Wednesdays we have NFT Insights, which is uh, a newsletter that again dives into everything that's happened in the NFT ecosystem. It highlights you know some key drops that are going to happen. Uh, projects that have found traction and just, you know, like general data regarding the NFT market. And it's, it's quickly become one of my favorite uh, letters that like one of my favorite research output that, that we as a team put out. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's the best way I think to keep up with, with NFT markets. Uh, and then finally on, on Thursday, we have a market insights, which uh, market analyst Jason puts together, and it's just a comprehensive run through of you know the state of crypto markets from a technical and fundamental perspective, uh, and and we we go through you know like market structure and you know like what coins might be you know looking like they might stage an uptrend, uh, you know the general outlook for the crypto market over over a short to mid time frame, uh, and it's it's just a complete rundown of everything that's happening in the market, and it's it's a very valuable tool for people who. Uh, I guess don't have the the chops or the resources to do all of that work themselves. Uh, and so this all, all this kind of spans the Delphi Insights um, subscription, and it's uh, yeah, it's 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 majorly retail focused. And honestly, I think this is where a big chunk of you know all of the alpha that Delphi finds and puts out comes from. And then you know finally we have like the free tier, which is the Delphi Daily, our daily newsletter that. Uh, sort of builds upon, you know, these other insights newsletters and also includes, you know, a fresh chart of the day uh, to highlight, you know, something important that's happened over the last 24 hours or the last week. Uh, and this has been like a huge hit and, and we've started, you know, like putting these up as threads on Twitter and, and they've seen pretty good traction and, and engagement. Uh, and, and it's also like the easiest way to just stay on top of everything that's happening in crypto. I think that covers all of it pretty comprehensively. And for those listening, it might sound like, you know, we just shilled Delphi for a good two, three minutes. But people who don't know, Delphi is really, really big. And they're pretty much the go-to place for, you know, deep dive fundamental research. Maybe not like the market leader on market research yet, but pretty big on fundamental side. So on that note, uh, what I wanted to ask you is that, you know, Clearly, you guys have a pretty big power position in the market, especially like the research market on fundamentals and stuff. So how do you guys analyze, you know, the impact of the stuff that you put out and how do you make sure that, you know, um, to rid your content of biases? Because I don't know, like, how big the impact is, but I can imagine at that level, it can move markets at least a little bit. So how do you guys sort of like analyze this impact? of what you do and uh, work around the biases that the team might have? Yeah, good question. Uh, I think what we try to optimize for is, like you said, you know, like during the entire process of the report and, and you know, like analyzing uh, what, whatever it is that we're researching uh, is trying to keep an open mind and trying to be as objective as, as we can. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough sometimes because we're human and, and we have our own biases, but that's why uh, there's, there's kind of like different uh, tiers of, you know, like the report creation process. So at the end, you know, after an analyst has, you know, their final draft, 
it'll typically go to you know a a research lead who who basically leads the efforts for that particular division uh it might be DeFi, it might be you know infrastructure uh and so the the division lead over there their their job is in a way to you know like rid the post of any bias that that isn't warranted and and to make it as objective as possible and you know once the division lead is done it comes to one of two final editors and and they will you know give it the final rundown just make sure everything you know reads right and that you know everything sounds right and you know cross check all of the data all of the information provided and just make sure you know that it's as objective as it can be and so you know to put it we we basically have like different people looking at every single report to make sure that we're getting a bunch of different opinions in and so it doesn't stink of you know like one person's bias and instead it reflects Delphi's views as an organization. And just to sort of add on to that, we have a very hardline approach to like being having data-driven research. And so, you know, it's tough to actually have, you know, a, a bias that is unwarranted when, when you're looking at the data, when you're looking at, you know, the numbers that that make up this the, the entire outlook. And so, you know, by having a, a data-driven research process, what we've essentially done is like for any claims that we make in our reports, we're, we're essentially providing proof that this is something that is reasonable and, and could actually happen. Uh, and so it's it's tough to, to like fudge numbers and, and, and to present it in a misleading way. So by having like that hardline approach to, to being data driven, uh, we, we kind of inherently shed most of our bias. Right. No, that that makes a, makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I want to go back on the data-driven part in a bit. But before that, I want to understand, you know, do you guys have within the team, you know, maxis who are, who have like antithesis of each other? So for example, like uh, you have Polygon uh, maxis versus ZK maxis fighting around which L2 is the way to go. And then that sort of debate boiling down into the work that you guys put out in the research section. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're, all, we're all humans. We all have our opinions. Uh, so we definitely do have people who are, you know, more for one side than the other. But I think if you like, if you just zoom out and look at it, everyone at Delphi is pretty chain agnostic. Like we're not tied to any particular ecosystem. We don't, we don't rule out any anything before you know there, there's something worthy of ruling it out for. Uh, and so we don't really have, you know, like a situation where you know people are fighting over, you know, which chain is going to do better. But instead. It, it makes for like very engaging conversation and, and like uh, the Delphi groups are honestly like one of the, the biggest uh, benefits of, of being at Delphi because like you, you basically have like some of the smartest people in the industry talking about, you know, what they think is going to happen and they're debating, you know, the trade-offs, the pros and cons uh, between different ecosystems. And it's just like a, a very thorough learning experience for anyone that's reading through this. And so, you know, we, we, as a team, don't really have any biases, you know, towards any particular product or chain or ecosystem. And uh, yeah, it's just a bunch of people debating, you know, the uh, what what they think is going to happen. And it, it improves everyone's learning experience in, in the inside the organization. Makes sense. So, you know, uh, coming back to the data part of it. So arguably, your guys' content is some of the most data-driven content that is put out there. I mean, a lot of Twitter threads uh, you find these days are, you know, just opinions and predictions and forecasting, which I think, I mean, is not necessarily as valuable as something that has a lot of charts and, you know, on-chain data backing it up. So kind of want to understand the process of, you know, basically looking at things 
from a data POV, what tooling you guys use to find out the data that is needed and how you guys basically source it that other people who are also looking at it can't easily and have to rely on you guys to get that stuff. Yeah, so um, I think one of the one of the more important things um, on like the the data driven side is like you need to look at the data and you need to analyze it before you ever start writing a report because if, if what you're doing is you know you're spinning up a narrative and you're trying to like find data that that fits your narrative and, and put it in uh, you're you're gonna have like an obviously biased output uh, and that's what I think a lot of people uh, especially you know some of the individual writers on Substack. Uh, and mirror that I think I think that's what they do is is they try to conjure a narrative and then they try to find data to you know fit into that narrative. If you're trying to be objective, you need to f- like put primary focus on the numbers on the data, and so you need to look at this data and then you need to come up with your insights off of that data. Uh, and so that is you know the the biggest part that of of like the research process that optimizes for objectivity. Is you know we first look at the numbers and then we decide you know what angle we need to take with this, uh, and so it's it's very important to do that if you're trying to you know like have objective research outputs. Uh, and in terms of you know like the tools we use, there there are a bunch we use. You know everything that you could find you know in the crypto market under the sun. Uh, you know Dune Analytics, Glassnode, Skew, Genesis Volatility. Uh, there are there are just there are too many tools, uh, too many data providers that we use for me to actually cover all of them. Uh, but yeah, it, it sort of depends on, you know, the nature of the report and what exactly it is that we're looking for. And, you know, typically in crypto, you, you'll find, you know, all of the data you need across, you know, maybe two or three different data providers. And so having access, you know, to all of them is, is a huge benefit to the team and, and their ability to, you know, like find this data and, uh, you know, find find the right angle for, for each report uh, based off of, you know, having this just like having the whole picture in terms of, uh, you know, data. Right, right. So that's definitely fair that, you know, um, go at it data first and then build out your narrative. So I'm assuming you guys have teams who are essentially looking at different dashboards and charts that you guys have created all the time. And when you see random volatility or patterns, you sort of spin up reports based on that. I mean, that's that's what I'm envisioning right now. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, the the vision for what you guys are doing here with the research firm? Are we, are we looking at Delphi as someone who wants to place itself as like the Bloomberg terminal for crypto sometime down the line? Or is that position like with Nansen and Misari and you guys are fighting for something else? Uh, we definitely have a lot of stuff a lot of features that people are not expecting rolled up our sleeves. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can get a chunk of them out during this year. And I think it's going to blow everyone's minds uh, inside of this industry. Uh, but, you know, that's that's still kind of under wraps. So I can't go too much uh, into it. Uh, but, but I can say, you know, Delphi is, is going to surprise a lot of people in 2022. I think that that is a pretty good teaser. And for those who are active in this space, would definitely be looking out as to what you guys are up to. So, kind of wanna uh, now take the conversation away from uh, you know Delphi and the work that you do there, and talk a little bit about the markets in general. And I wanna first start with the macro uh, right now. And you know, no no price guessing or anything. But what I wanna kind of get a perspective on is that you know, with the Ukraine 
conflict raging and all the you know uncertainty around interest rates and everything that's happening we've seen like a pretty good rally right yesterday with bitcoin and the 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 rest of the market do you think that this rally sort of validate the fundamentals of bitcoin and being a store of value type facet to to you know a global asset to hedge your risk and and is 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 that something that you know we can infer from that or are we looking too deep yeah i don't think you know you're going to find an answer to that anytime soon uh you know bitcoin tends to have different reactions to different events and so you know like when uh bitcoin went up you know during the the missile crisis between the us and iran you know uh, people started calling it you know a safe haven asset and a store of value uh but then you know there were incidents where you know like when, whenever china uh, says something with respect to crypto or you know like when there was uh like just just certain events uh, on a macro landscape that you would you would consider to be a catalyst uh bitcoin has floundered and so you know there's there's no straight answer uh, to whether you know like bitcoin is is this or that uh, and i think it's going to take some more time and and it's it's basically i think it's going to change over time the way bitcoin is perceived as an asset by you know the global market and um yeah so so i i don't think there's like a solid answer with respect to like how you can view bitcoin uh you know in in the global macro landscape right now uh but i will say you know with with respect to this rally again you're you're going to have people who are you know using this rally to you know defend the narrative that that bitcoin is a safe haven asset and you know that people are fleeing to bitcoin because they realize you know the need for censorship resistant money uh you're also going to have you know like uh critics on the other side decrying the rally and saying you know it's 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 just people it's it's just a, a narrative based uh you know price action and and so you know it's something that you can ignore and and bitcoin's going to go back down so it's very easy to i i think like just uh like view these situation this this particular situation in different ways uh and i i honestly don't have you know too too much of insight into you know like how i think this is going to go down i'm still like formulating my thesis around you know bitcoin and how it reacts to a certain macro environments no i think that's that's fair uh to be honest i mean i i'm i'm in the same boat as you but i do think that you know at some point we're going to see you know better correlation with macro events and bitcoin more predictable and at that point maybe we can come up with a theory as to whether or not people are seeing this as a safe haven safe haven asset like they do with gold right but yeah i think right now it might still be too early so uh steering the conversation away from that uh i think you within the research team are someone who has more defi focus than the other sectors of the market is is, is yeah, that definitely. correct yeah i spend uh, a lot of my life just just looking at defi markets and and new protocols and products perfect perfect so you know uh, been thinking lately a lot about uh, you know defi business models and thought that you know that would be a good this would be a good segue to talk about that right and kind of want to start getting your perspective on you know the current state of the defi market what you're seeing as someone you know who works very closely with some of the leading protocols especially during the beginning you guys basically you know work with them on their tokenomics and upwards so how are you seeing the defi markets evolving especially in context of the business model and how that is changing since the defi summer that happened 
so I think one interesting thing that that just keeps happening is you know some some particular you know um, method of uh, you know like liquidity mining or just you know like pushing you know a, a DeFi uh, protocol forward ends up you know like taking finding finding some some kind of a base and and you know like it's it's proven successful over a short time frame and then you see like a flood of projects that come in to like copy this model and eventually like it gets saturated and, and people find you know like the game theory holes in 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 this particular mechanism and so you know it, it starts to fade off over the long term and we we saw that happen with with airdrops we saw that happen with you know like traditional liquidity mining we saw it happen with uh, uh, like Uniswap LP token based liquidity mining. Uh, we saw it happen with, you know, like the bonding mechanism that Olympus DAO employs. And so I think the the uh, different models we see in DeFi, the different business models are, are going to rapidly evolve uh, over the next couple of years. And, and we're going to continue to, you know, like have, we're, we're going to have to continue to experiment and find new models and, and find new things that work. And that's that's all a part of the process, honestly. Um, but, you know, with respect to the DeFi business models today, I think, you know, there are predominantly, you know, two ways in which you can incentivize usage in a community. Um, the first is, you know, people will, uh, you know, not people, projects will uh, basically, you know, like give out their token as an incentive to people to use their projects, to use their project, uh, to provide liquidity, to, to be core users. Uh, and so, you know, that's that 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 seems like a very obvious way, you know, to incentivize activity. But you know, the problem with that is sustainability. Like, you know, the tokens eventually run out, and if the tokens don't run out, then you know, there's there's really no point in holding it because uh, if you know, as a passive user, if if you're going to get you know diluted over over like even uh, you know medium time frame, uh, and so you know, there are there are a lot of flaws with with that model. Uh, and, you know, like a lot of people have pointed to, you know, more sustainable models, like, you know, where a piece of the protocol usage goes towards uh, the token holders, something like, you know, what, what SushiSwap has done with XSushi. Um, you know, the problem with that, again, is, you know, it's, it's difficult to pass on that value in a way that doesn't create like a regulatory hassle for, for the project and, and the core team themselves. And so that's why, you know, a lot of teams have shied away yeah. from that. Uh, another thing is, you know, if you, if you think of these as startups, which, you know, they are, uh, despite, you know, some of them commanding ridiculous valuations, um, you know, startups aren't trying, aren't supposed to try to be cash flow positive from the very beginning. Like you, you shouldn't be optimizing for uh, free cash or earnings. You're supposed to, you know, for the most part, be reinvesting your revenue into growth and, and pushing, you know, your efforts forward into building a better product. And so, this is, you know, like the, the most sustainable way, obviously, to fund, you know, a business or a DeFi protocol is by, you know, using uh, proceeds from, you know, people actually paying to use the product to, to fund further growth. And so, you know, the idea of giving this away at such an early stage uh, is sort of non-intuitive. And so, you know, I think we, there, there are a lot of things wrong with traditional equity markets and, uh, you know, but, but there are also a lot of things that they've gotten right over you know, hundreds of years of existence. And so we, instead of, you know, like completely shunning yeah. everything that happens in traditional markets, we need to be able to borrow certain concepts uh, and ideas that make sense and can be implemented to you know, improve the sustainability and life cycle of, of these DeFi protocols. Right, right. So what I'm hearing from you right now maybe is that for a DeFi project to maybe go long-term, they need to be doing two things. One is constantly evolve, like be in a structure where they're basically 
investing a large chunk of their earnings or fund fundraise that they get from the market or otherwise into essentially constantly evolving their product, building new additional features, testing more efficiency, all of that, right? That's that's the name of the game, basically constant yeah, ev- I think, evolution. Yeah, I think that's accurate uh, because, you know, the crypto market right now doesn't look like what the crypto market looked like even two weeks ago. And so if you expect, you know, your business model that you came up with today and you think is a great idea to exist, you know, uh, next year and the year after that, and and if you have like this unfounded confidence in it, uh, then, you know, that's going to spell some problems. And and so you need to be able, like as a DeFi protocol, uh, you know, core founding team or just the core team, uh, you need to be able to be nimble and adapt to, you know, like the evolving market environment. Uh, and you need to be able to, you know, like at times accept that, you know, like your idea was wrong and it didn't play out and move on. Because if you don't, then you're going to put an entire community of token holders uh, against, like sort of pit them against you and, and you're going to be doing things to their detriment and to your own detriment. And so, you know, being flexible and, and being willing to say, you know, this was wrong, uh, I think is is a, like two, are two very valuable things uh, for, for any project in crypto, given, you know, just how quickly the space evolves. And, you know, that makes me wonder, does that also mean, in your opinion, that for DeFi pro- projects that are doing well in terms of, you know, um, the numbers that they have in TVL and usage, but not really innovating, the token for them is probably going to end up in a death spiral soon because for many of them where token isn't really correlated with the platform activity, the only promise of token being more valuable is if the teams are constantly executing. So do you think that, I mean, the founding team or whoever is behind the project, if they're slowing down, it's essentially going to end up creating a death spiral for the existing uh, protocols? Both yes and no, because I think I think this question uh, has different answers with different context. So if you look at something like Uniswap, uh, they're, they're already, you know, mm-hmm. like the market leader for, you know, decentralized exchanges in general. And so if they were to just, you know, like, call it quits and just have Uniswap V2 and V3 functioning as is, uh, you would still see a lot of like value accrual to the Uni token if, you know, that if, if there was any, if, if they turned on that fee switch for a piece of LP fees to go towards, you know, token stakers. Uh, and that's because Uniswap has already yeah. found like very clear market fit inside of crypto and they're one of the largest products and they're one of the most used products. Uh, but, you know, the same situation with, let's say, a project that has, you know, massive TVL, uh, a lot of token holders, uh, because they're, you know, they, they have heavy token incentives and they're kind of front loading their emissions towards the, the beginning of, of the project in order to, you know, like kind of bootstrap and, and overcome the cold start problem. Then you're going to run into issues uh, if, if you can't like iterate quick enough to actually build like a good product. Uh, and so it, it sort of depends, like the more mature protocols can afford to, you know, like take their foot off the pedal a little bit and, you know, like slow down and uh, you know, just see what's happening around them before they, they start to accelerate again. But, you know, some of the younger projects that haven't found market fit and are, are still struggling to establish themselves within crypto, uh, taking their foot off the pedal could be, you know, fatal for, for their projects. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. So, you know, on the previous point about teams being nimble and constantly evolving and working towards newer things, I kind of want get, to get a perspective on, you know, what do you think these teams should be evolving to as in like what are some of the things that are let's say uh lower hanging fruits and emerging trends that DeFi is going towards in your opinion and 
like what are these what are the trends that you're most excited yeah uh, i mean this is this is a bit of a tough question because as i you know mentioned earlier crypto evolves really rapidly so you know anything i say today might you know be irrelevant even you know a couple of months from now uh, but i would say yeah. you know for for defi teams uh, you know they they tend to be very passionate developers who you know like they they go heads down and they start building and and they don't focus on anything outside and they're, they're just like sort of focused on building their own product uh, and that's a good approach to have when you're in like you know the early engineering phases of the project but you know as you as you start to have more stuff built out i think it becomes much more important to start looking around at you know what's happening in the market and what people are doing rather than saying and you know like how uh just you know like the the different products are evolving so that you get a sense of what's happening around you and so you're not making these isolated decisions based off what you think you know your product should be and uh how how you sort of envision it uh, on a standalone basis but rather like you take in all of this information that that's that exists in the market and you try to uh fine tune your strategy so that you can you know go in the same direction and continue evolving yeah that that makes sense but let's say you know we wanted to if you wanted to were to mention you know some emerging defi trends let's say you know some particular kind of products like structured walls or margin trading protocols what are some of the newer primitives or newer types of protocols that you're looking forward to and no need to like mention names or shill anyone but essentially like talk about the function functionality that they'll be adding to yeah, the defi so, space um i mean if you look at defi today I mean there's 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 not really a lack of capital right there's there's a lot of capital in the space but a lot of it is dead weight uh, and so so protocols that promote capital efficiency yeah. and make it easier to you know like have super fluid collateral which can move around different ecosystems and be utilized uh, for you know like different purposes I think I think that's one of the 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 should should be one of the main focuses of the defi industry uh, and there are a few protocols doing this um, and and so like under collateralized margin trading uh which isn't you know sort of uh isolated to just margin trading you can you can do a bunch of stuff um with the funds you borrow but like the core primitive there is credit accounts so you have you, you have like a smart contract based wallet uh that you know has your collateral your collateral is deposited from that wallet and so you can borrow you know up to let's say 5 or, or 10x uh the amount of collateral you posted uh and because you know you you can't do this on something like Aave uh just just to go back for a second you can't you can't do this on something like ave because you know once you take uh once you borrow from ave you can move it you know around to different contracts and addresses so that you know like ave can never recover those funds and that's why they need you yeah. to over collateralize your loans but with the credit account primitive essentially what what happens is you know you can uh you can post less money than you borrow and they can use the derivative style of margining which is essentially you know if your total losses on the position uh that you borrow come close to the amount of margin you posted uh then you know you you enter liquidation and and a liquidator come in can come in and unwind the positions from your credit account and and you know like uh make lenders whole again and so this this kind of primitive improves capital efficiency by you know enabling uh under collateralized uh leverage uh but it doesn't do so at you know the the expense of security there's there's still a lot of you know like security for both lenders in terms of you know their financial risk uh and for you know the protocol itself uh with respect to its solvency uh and so yeah i think i think under collateralized uh right, right. you know primitives like this uh are, are super important 
Um, and I'm a huge decentralized derivatives buff. And, and so it shouldn't be too surprising uh, that I'm going to say, I think the DeFi options are going to take off this year. Uh, there are a lot of cool projects that have launched. Uh, and I think it's it, it, it has been a pretty unloved, uh, you know, subsector of, of DeFi specifically because, you know, the, the primitives that you know, they started off with were, were kind of, um, they, they weren't up to the mark of, you know, what you would consider good UX. Uh, and so I think a lot of projects have come in that that have you know like recognized these issues and have done you know a lot of good work in terms of uh, addressing these problems and and so we're going to see you know like a big uptick in DeFi options usage uh, in 2022. Right, right. Definitely agree with both of those points. And personally, looking forward to these protocols emerging as well. And I believe the first kind uh, uncollateralized margin trading. I think that also has the potential to, you know, bring some of the CFI trading volume on chain, which is also super cool and something I'm excited about. So the next thing that I want to ask you is that, you know, what do you think is the like long game end game of DeFi? Because I mean, I mean, just to, you know, contextualize it a bit better, um, DeFi sort of started with a lot of slogans, you know, disrupting centralized banking, uh, providing easier banking to those who were in banked and like, you know, simpler, faster, uh, no collateral, no KYC, all of that. Right. And, and that's a lot of messages for, and, and, and most of them are true, but that's a lot of messaging. But do you think like in long term, we're going to see DeFi in a state where people would be unilaterally using DeFi or do you think that DeFi would emerge as a backend for a lot of activity that will eventually end up being centralized because most people don't want to, you know, go through the hassle of the DeFi user experience and would just rather deposit their money into like simple structured product products and get their um, returns. I think way. the answer to both, both of those questions is yes. Um, you're you're going to have, you know, like users that, you know, really care for, you know, their, their, um, the, the way they own their assets for, you know, their individual sovereignty, uh, you know, for, you know, the value, they, they align with the core values of, you know, like cypherpunks and the crypto industry at large. And so, you know, they're, they're going to eventually get involved with DeFi and, and start interacting with these protocols as primary users. Um, at the same time, I think, you know, the, the reality of the world today is a lot of people don't care about, you know, security and whether they actually own their assets and whether, you know, there's an intermediary in there somewhere that can potentially seize their assets or whether government censorship affects them. Uh, and that's that's honestly the, the vast majority of people. So I can definitely see, you know, a lot of uh, fintech apps pop up that, that sort of focus on just the UX and they plug into these DeFi things in the background and they make it easy for, for people to access these services. And, and something like that would likely be KYC'd at the application level, which is, you know, on that FinTech app rather than, you know, on the DeFi protocol level, which, you know, kind of makes it a win-win for, for both sets of users where, you know, you still have no KYC on the core DeFi protocols and, and you can have individuals who who want to, you know, like go and interact with them directly. And at the same time, you'd have, you know, like these, these, these apps that come in and make it easier to use DeFi for, you know, your more lazy user. Uh, and, and they would uh, essentially, you know, like the, the company would have to comply with certain regulations because it's a centralized entity and, and they would have to do KYC. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're not like, it, it's not hindering, um, you know, people who care for their operational security and, 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 you know, the custody of their assets. It doesn't hinder them from, 
you know, like actually going in directly interacting with these protocols, which you, know, you can't say for traditional finance. Like if I want to send you money via Swift, I need to do that via a bank. I can't go to, you know, go and interact mm-hmm. with the Swift infrastructure myself. But, you know, we can do that with Ethereum. We can use, you know, some some kind of uh, centralized fintech app to send each other money via Ethereum. But we can also just, you know, like use spin up a MetaMask hot wallet and, and you know, do, do that exact same thing without, you know, an intermediary or a centralized entity in, in between. Makes sense. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. And something I also think will happen down the line, because I think for the majority of users, especially on the retail side, um simplicity will trump over you know values such as self-custody and decentralization but still you know uh on the larger trend itself if you know the large larger banking infrastructure can also be a little more decentralized within like the institutions that are the main players that itself is a big win in my mind so i want to ask you like a few more questions and this time around essentially the learning curve of crypto and how to navigate that because as someone in your position who's a full-time researcher in crypto how would you sort of recommend people to get started on the learning curve and you know ramp up really really quickly uh, especially let's say for DeFi. i mean how would you go how do you go from like a crypto DeFi noob to a crypto DeFi pro who can you know do on chain. That's a great question. Uh, honestly, I've thought it, thought about that a lot, and I don't think I have a perfect answer, but I'm going to try to address that uh, the best I can. Uh, so I think one major mistake that new entrants do is is you know they go and join Twitter and and these Discord servers and Telegram groups immediately, and you know the the problem with that is like you need to understand what these people are talking about in order to you know be able to gauge whether you know, someone, what someone is saying makes sense, whether it's noise, whether it's, it's actually alpha. Uh, and so you need to have like a preliminary understanding of how things work here. And uh, I think the best way to do that is just like by, by spending a couple of weeks, you know, Googling these different things, diving down different, you know, rabbit holes, watching YouTube videos, uh, basically figure out how the basics of this stuff works for itself before you start, you know, like interacting with other people. Uh, because, you know, I think everyone knows crypto is, is pretty like rife with scammers and, and people who are trying to take advantage of you. And so, you know, to shield yourself from that, you need to, you know, have some base level of education with respect to the space uh, before you start, you know, like interacting with, with you know, like these, these giant anonymous groups. Uh, and so I think like spending some time reading and, and watching and just like seeing what's happening in crypto and learning about the different mechanics, the the, the core problems that we're trying to solve and, uh, you know, the, the approaches to them and, and like how different protocols are structured, how different token models work. Uh, I think that's that's a very good place to like build up that base. And once you do that and, and then you join, you know, these Discord and Telegram groups and you join Twitter, then you can really start to like, you know, separate, you know, the the noise from from the quality information. And, and you can start, you know, like ho- like refining, you know, the people you follow, the groups you're in to make sure, you know, you're you're only consuming high quality information. Uh, and then at that point, you know, those those just serve as like primary sources. Once, you know, you identify some smart people, uh, you know, some some genuine people and you can uh, sort of track, you know, what everyone's talking about and what's going on in the market that way. Uh, and, you know, this that, that that's pretty much like the easiest way to get ahead in crypto is just by networking and talking to people. Uh, but the, the problem is with, you know, like finding genuine smart people uh, who aren't trying to take you for a ride. 
So what I'm hearing is essentially start with building a fundamental base understanding of everything major that happens in the ecosystem and then you can ramp up in whichever direction seems the most interesting, whether it's like going into NFTs or DeFi or just the base infrastructure problems and yeah, exactly. Because you know the thing right? is, uh, it's it's very easy to get absorbed by the wrong tribe when when you don't have a lot of information. So you know, once you've educated yourself, once you've spoken to a lot of people, it's a lot easier to figure out what you're really interested in, and and as a result, it's it's a lot easier to like find your tribe within crypto and uh, you know that like those that that group of people that you know like shares information and 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 you know hot takes and 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 their thoughts on on you know things that are happening inside the ecosystem and. You know that's that's honestly the the easiest way to get ahead. It requires you know some effort on the individual's part first before they can they can get to that you know uh, the the ability to filter out you know noise and quality. Right. Yeah. Thanks a lot for that advice. And I'm gonna leave you uh, leave you to it with a final question. And I've been this is one that I've been asking on the recent episodes ever since like 2022 uh, rolled over. And this is about you know. The last one year, 2021, was one of the craziest cycles so far. Um, wanted to know that as someone who's so plugged in into the ecosystem, what were your key learnings from the last one year? If you oh, had to like okay. summarize, that. Uh, I think uh, a couple of them were, you know, it's uh, it's always easier to, you know, I think I think greed gets the best of us, and you know, you're 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 better off. Um, you know, taking profit early rather than, you know, like waiting for another 10x. Uh, there, there's a book called the Zurich Axioms. And so one of the axioms in that is, um, you know, on greed. And, you know, if you if you take profits early, you know, you run the risk of, you know, like regretting it if, if price runs up later. Uh, but that's a, a much better situation to be in than, you know, like holding an asset, hoping that it goes up, but it just keeps dropping. Uh, and so if you can, you know, like, if you can be, you know, the rotator meme, uh, from 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 twitter and and basically like you know take these small wins and compound yeah. them then you know over the long term you're going to be better off uh and so that that's something that you know 2021 right. was key and sort of reinforcing to me was that you know like narratives change quickly uh hype dissolves quickly and so if if you're going to be you know trading or investing based off of you know narrative alone and, and no fundamentals then you need to be able to you know like spot these narrative changes and you need to have you know the ability to shed your bias uh, and exit positions and, and rotate to the next narrative as quick as possible. Um, but, you know, this obviously doesn't apply for the more long-term focused fundamental investors, but, you know, the, the easy money in crypto seems to come from, you know, like uh, milking these narratives and, and rotating uh, from, from one asset to another. Definitely, definitely. I think you're basically saying that don't Pretty be much, mad yeah. at your bags and be ready to shed them, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, definitely got burnt a lot because of that and was also one of my biggest takeaways from the last year. So yeah, um, thanks Ashwath. I think this is this is a really great episode learning from you at what you do at Delphi and then also your views on the larger market and DeFi in, in particular. So thanks again for joining us today on the podcast and Thank taking the time out. Thanks for having me.